You know, in this message series, we're talking about things that God never said. And these are statements that Christians often think that God said, but either God didn't say them or he didn't say them in the context that we sometimes kind of tangle them up in, that we use them in sometimes. Last weekend, we talked about the statement that God never said, which is, I just want you to be happy. And God never said that. (laughs) But take heart. Don't be discouraged. Because the truth is actually so much better than that. You see, God doesn't want you to be happy. God wants you to be holy. He wants you to be made more and more and more into the image and likeness of his son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And the life that Christ gives to us brings us a joy that's so much better than the circumstantial happiness that just comes and goes with the ebbs and flows of the life that we live. Today's statement that God never said is, I will never give you more than you can handle. Now, you've probably heard this one before, right? I know I have. The fact is, this one is so deeply ingrained that I bet most every one of us here has actually said it sometime before in our life. But again, take heart. Don't feel guilty. Because, let's face it, before this morning, maybe you didn't know any better. (laughs) But here's the deal. We're going to unpack this today. And so from today on, you can never, ever look at someone who's going through a really hard time and tell them, God will never give you more than you can handle. You can't do that anymore because we're going to show you today how God never said that and how untrue it actually is. You see, there are three problems with this statement. And the first problem is this, it's just not in the Bible. And that's a problem, isn't it? Because the Bible is the word of God. And it's the primary source of all the knowledge that we have about God. And so if a person tells you that God said something, it should either be in the Bible or it should be backed up by the Bible. If it contradicts the Bible, it's definitely not God speaking. This belief, this understanding has guided Christian thinking and living for the past 2,000 years, ever since the days of the early church. Now, maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, wait a minute, I know that that statement is in the Bible. I think I've read it somewhere in there. Maybe you're looking at me and you're thinking, gosh, Pastor Mark really ought to do a better job of doing some preparation before he says things like this in his sermon. Well, I can assure you that both myself and and all of the preaching pastors at Anderson Hills do do our due diligence. We do our homework. We do our research before we stand up here. And here is where this mistaken, uh, mistaken idea comes from, that God said this statement. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, which says this. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. You see, that statement is all about temptation, isn't it? 
Earlier in this chapter, Paul was talking about the ancient Israelites who experienced so many great and powerful things from the Lord, and yet they often fell back into temptation, the temptations of immorality and idolatry. And Paul says that the Israelites should serve as an example for us today because any one of us, all of us, can fall into temptation. You see, this verse is true. And it gives us great hope that no matter what temptation you might be facing, that God promises he will provide a way out. That you never have to give in to temptation. That every time you and I sin, it's a choice that we make to say no to God's way and yes to our own way. We don't like to look at sin that way, do we? We like to justify it. We like to say things like, oh, that's not really such a big deal. Everybody sins. It's just the way I am. But the truth is, that's not the way you are. You are a child of God. And the Bible tells us that when we're in Christ, we're no longer a slave to sin. Jesus died to set you free so you don't have to fall to Satan's lies. You see, the Bible tells us exactly how temptation works. You can find this in the book of James, chapter 1, verses 13 to 14. It says, and remember, when you are being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. It gives birth to death. Sin leads to death. So it's certainly not something that we should just brush off and try and justify. Now, I understand. I do. The temptation is really, really tough. And that you're going to fail sometimes, and I'm going to fail sometimes. Okay, confess your sin to God Get back up, dust yourself off, and by the power of the Holy Spirit say, I don't need to live this way. I don't want to live this way, so I'm going to choose to say no to temptation. Use the gifts that God has given us. Confess to your band or your life group. Get some accountability and support in your life. Because here's the truth from God's word. Our temptations are normal and God will always provide a way out. We'll never face such a great temptation that we can't handle it. Because it's not in our strength that we could handle it to begin with. No way. The same way that we face our temptations is with the strength of God, with the power of God. The same strength, the same power that raised our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ from the dead. That's the power that lives in you and me that gives us the ability to say no. You see, it empowers you to live your life in a whole new, brand new way. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. 
And so that's what the verse actually means. And that's very different than saying God will never give you more than you can handle. And so it raises a question for us. If God didn't say it, why do we keep on saying it as though it's true? <laughs> and I think there's a good reason. I think really we, we're looking for something to say to other people that comes out of the best of intentions. We say these words because we want to give hope to someone who's really, really hurting. For example, let's say you have a good friend and they call you up and they tell you, hey, I just had the worst day that you could possibly imagine. My alarm didn't go off. I must have forgotten to set it. So I was running late from the very get-go of the morning. And then um, I was running around the house trying to get my shower and shaved and all of that stuff. And, and then the new puppy kept hanging around my, my shoes trying to chew on my shoelaces. And I, I tripped over the puppy and I fell. And so everything made me so late that by the time I got to work, my boss yelled at me for being late. Why are you late? I knew I was late. I didn't need him to make it worse. And so I didn't get any of my work done today. All I could do was stew about how late I was and how my boss had yelled at me. And so now I have a whole lot of work to make up tonight. And then to top it all off in the afternoon, the school calls. And, and Susie's in trouble because that bully that's been picking on her, she finally stood up to him. And then... It was just like traffic. It was terrible coming home. And, and now I've got a whole night facing me of work to do. Now, you might sit there for a second or two on the phone thinking, gosh, what should I say to my friend? Here's what you don't want to say. Hey, sorry about your luck. My day was great, though, you know? I, I got a promotion today, and, uh, and my kid's on the honor roll, and, you know, my dog uh, saved someone's life today from drowning. Don't say that. Don't say that. So we say stuff like, hey, God will never give you more than you can handle. You've got this. You see, we're trying to give them hope, aren't we? Because if God will never give you more than you can handle, even though you've got a whole lot of bad stuff going on, it feels hopeful to know that it's possible that you're going to make it through this hard stuff because God will never give you more than you can handle. So what is the problem with that? I mean, even the great saint of a woman, Mother Teresa, once said, I know God will not give me anything I can't handle. I just wish he didn't trust me so much. Have you ever felt that way? I think we probably all have. Well, there's a second problem with saying God won't give you more than you can handle. And it's the fact that God doesn't cause all your pain. You know, sometimes we mistakenly think that if God is all-powerful, then everything that happens must be God's will. So if God will never give you more than you can handle, then God must be the ultimate pain inflictor who just decides to stick it to you to the outer limits of your threshold of pain and then stops right before you break. Some of you probably have a person in your life that's like that. You might call them your personal trainer. 
And you show up at Orange Theory or, or somewhere like that, Crunch Fitness, and they push you to your absolute limits. And they get to yell at you the whole time they're doing it too. Some of you might know that I ran cross country and track at Indiana University when I was in college. And my coach, he was a great coach, but he was known to come up with some really rough workouts for everyone on the team, including the distance runners, which I was a part of. And I will remember one particularly tough workout that we did during the indoor track season. It was brutal. We would start on the track and we would do four by 400 meters with a minute rest in between. And that was followed by two 800s with a minute rest in between. And then two 1600s with a minute and a half. And these were to be done as fast as we could. And then we quickly grabbed our sweats. We threw them on. We went out the field house door to run a seven-mile street run on fast tempo. And I remember, because this was in wintertime, that cold air would sting my lungs because the, the track was, the air in there was so dry. And then you'd go outside and you'd sting your lungs. And all of a sudden, that hot sweat from running inside would, would freeze on your body and you'd just shiver for the first mile or so of that outdoor part. And then we'd finish that seven miler and it was immediately back inside the field house and we'd strip off our sweats again and we'd do that indoor part in reverse two 1600s, two 800s, and four 400s. And by the end of it, I remember we were all just gasping for air. We'd lay down on the track just trying to, just trying to recover. It was like what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? But seriously, what if God was like that? I mean, a God like that wouldn't be a very good kind of God to have. I mean, would an all-powerful, all-loving, all-good God make his children suffer for his own enjoyment? I mean, a personal trainer might. My college coach, they may have had good reasons. They did have good reasons to push their protégés. But much of the suffering in life isn't like that. Pastor John was telling me a story of something that happened to him um, a few years ago. He was telling me the story recently. He was sitting in this waiting room of a veterinarian's office, and he just casually struck up a conversation with a woman who was waiting there for her dog. And she asked John what he did for a living. And I got to tell you, it's always interesting when you tell someone that you're a pastor because immediately they start thinking, oh, what have I just said? And they start to clean up their language and they wonder if they've been cursing in front of you or something like that. But that wasn't this lady's issue. She started telling Pastor John about her young child who was really difficult, who was giving her fits. She described some really bad behavioral stuff. And she described how difficult it was for her to get him to behave. And how she was so frustrated with herself for not being able to get him to listen to her. And Pastor John began to explain to her and, and commiserate with her that, yeah, parenting is tough. And he tried to encourage her to keep at it. And then she said, oh, I can't do that anymore. Because he got sick and he died earlier this year. And Pastor John said he felt terrible and he tried to begin to console her. 
And then John told me he'll never forget her response to him. The woman said, no, it's a good thing. God knew I couldn't handle him, and God never gives me more than I can handle. So God took him away from me. Can you imagine such a thing? That God would look down from heaven and see this woman who felt like she was failing as a parent, and so God would make her son sick and die? What kind of God would do such an atrocious thing? I have to tell you, sometimes pastors hear some really bad theology, especially when people are in pain. And the general rule is that's not the best time in the world to push back and try and correct this bad theology. Because people aren't usually ready to process that kind of deep stuff in those moments. But this one, Pastor John felt, was so egregious that he just felt the Holy Spirit prompting him to, to say something to her. And so he said to this woman, I don't know, I don't know exactly why your son died. But I do know that God doesn't work like that. And I can see how much you love your child. And he said that she started to cry. And he said to her, you would have done anything for him, wouldn't you? And she said, yes. And John went on and said, sickness is a terrible thing and it's part of life here on earth. But God is not disappointed with you as a mom. He sees you. And he loves you. And this is not your fault. And it's not God's doing. He cares so much about you. And your child is safe now with God. And he's going to help you through this difficult time. Our church will help you through too if you want. And John said he never saw her again after that day at the vet. And that he still prays for her whenever she comes to his mind. More than likely, somewhere along the way, some well-meaning Christians told her that God would never give her more than she could handle. And somehow she made that connection with her child's death. People say things like this because we don't know what to do when we hear painful stories. And we don't want to seem uncaring we want to have answers. You see, when people mess up, when we say the wrong things, we need attorneys to fix our problems, don't we? Or, or PR agents to help us, to smooth things over for us. Last year, when, when Will Smith slapped Chris Rock across the face at the 2022 Academy Awards, it wasn't good for Will Smith's reputation. He had spent a career building a really good reputation as a star. And although it was a reaction to a joke that Rock had made about, about Will Smith's wife, that slap nevertheless undid years of positive image building. That was a case of a star needing some good PR to smooth things over. But God doesn't need an attorney, and God doesn't need good PR. You see, giving someone a simple, cheesy answer to a big, painful problem in life is not helpful. 
In fact, it's insulting to their problems. And telling them that God is the source of pain is assigning blame to God that is not God's to bear. We live in a world broken by sin. Things aren't the way that God created them. And sometimes you're going to go through things in life that are a direct result of your sin. Like when you do something dumb or you say something dumb and you suffer the natural consequences of that. Other times you'll experience pain that is the result of indirect sin, like sickness or death. It's not necessarily a direct intervention of God. It's a side effect of the fact that our sin brought death into the world and that we live in a fallen place. So where is God in all of this? Doesn't God's will have something to do with the things that happen on earth? And here's the third problem with the statement that God will never give you more than you can handle. And it's this. It's a misunderstanding of God's will. Sometimes Christians believe that everything that happens is God's will, but this is only a half-truth. You see, there are different categories of God's will. First, there's God's perfect will. His will that each and every one of us would be like Jesus. And that's true for every single person because Jesus died for every single person. Second, there's God's preceptive will. These are God's precepts or God's commands about the way that we should live. For example, you don't have to pray about whether or not you should kill someone. You don't have to pray about whether or not it's good for you to yell at your spouse because God's precepts tell us that neither one of those things and many more things are not good. So we don't do those things. Third is God's preferred will. These are the things that God prefers, the things that make God happy. For example, Moses, you'll remember, appealed to God's preferred will when he asked God to be merciful to the Israelites even though they had messed up because God loves mercy and that's God's preferred will. Fourth is God's permissive will. These are the things that God allows to happen. Everything that happens has filtered through this permissive will of God. This is what God allows, even some of it that is sin. For example, God allowed Joseph's brothers to betray him, didn't he? To sell him off into slavery in Egypt. To deceive their father. All of this so that God might bring the Israelites to Egypt where God would spare them from the famine and grow them into a great nation. And finally, there is God's directive will. And these are the things that God causes to happen. For example, Paul gave, or God gave Paul a vision 
to reroute one of his missionary trips to a town called Macedonia. That's where God wanted him to move. That's directive. The Bible even says that God shut a door and prevented Paul from going another way because he wanted him to go. He directed him to go to Macedonia. God does not cause everything that God permits. For example, your young child might want to touch the hot stove. Your perfect will is that nothing bad would happen to your child. Your perceptive will is that they do not touch the stove because it's against the rules that you've set. Your preferred will is that they heed your teaching and don't touch the stove. But if they continue to insist on touching that hot stove, and if you share some philosophies of parenting that are permissive, you might let them to touch that stove. Why? Was it your will that they touched the stove? No, of course not. But you permitted it. It was not your directive will. It would not be accurate for someone to say, well, you can handle the pain of touching the stove because your parent will never give you more pain than you can handle. You didn't give that pain to them. You permitted it. And your child may or may not understand why you permitted it, but you did. Now, that's very simplistic and probably would never happen. It doesn't apply perfectly to all the pain in your life. But it's fair. And God is not a helicopter God who is constantly hovering around you, trying to shield you from every bit of pain and suffering. That doesn't mean he causes it or even that he desires it. And so if we shouldn't Tell someone, God will never give you more than you could handle. What do you say to someone? I'm going to share a few things with you. And they might sound really simplistic. But I can assure you, even from my own, personal experience that these are some of the kindest most profound words that you can ever say to someone I love you and I'm here for you I am praying for you I know that your pain that you're feeling right now is real. And I am sorry that you're going through that right now. I'm here for you. Whenever you need it, I'm here for you. Finally, know this, that no matter what you are going through, you can have peace. You can have peace in Jesus. That the pains of this world, they're temporary. 
because this life is temporary. And followers of Jesus, we have hope in something so much bigger than this world because we were made for eternity. And Jesus speaks these words to us in John chapter 16, verse 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Will you pray with me? Oh God, we give you thanks that you are a good you are a good, good father, that you are loving and you are patient and you are with us in every situation. Father, we do live in a fallen world and every single one of us has faced times, maybe are right now facing times that might just seem so overwhelming, like we don't know how we're going to make it. Thank you for your promise that you'll never leave us or forsake us. Thank you for putting other people in our lives that speak words of love, who are there for us when we need them, who will walk the journey with us, and who are really signs of your presence in our lives. More than anything, we thank you for Jesus who gives us the victory. We thank you for Jesus whose name is above every name. We thank you for Jesus whose name is so powerful that when we speak it, we know that there is a strength in us, there is a resurrection power in us that makes all things possible. So Jesus... Come and rule and reign in our hearts and rule and reign in this world until this world becomes the kingdom of our God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.